everyone, good day to you and welcome to Last Week on Earth with Gary. This is Odessa and Michal and today we'll chat through three topics with you. EU's competition charges against Amazon over their handling of sellers' data. Beijing drafts first antitrust rules to curb the power of Chinese big tech giants. And last one, EU's new budget and what it means for research and innovation. We have some very exciting guests lined up for you for the next couple of podcasts, so keep listening to find out who they'll be. We'd like to heartfully thank the International Visegrad Fund for funding this podcast and supporting Gary's journey. Here we go! In our last episode, we were talking about the boycott of Facebook uh, by some of the large advertising companies who were not happy about the way Facebook is dealing with uh, political issues and political advertisement. And uh, Facebook was ready to relaunch their political ads after the American elections and uh, doing and uh, Facebook was trying to do the right thing probably in in terms of stopping the the hate and the false uh, claims. And surprisingly, Facebook announced that it will continue the block of uh, any political advertisement for the next couple of weeks, maybe a month. And uh, Google keeps the ban on the political uh, advertisement uh, also, even though it did not disclose the length of, of the continuing ban on, of political advertisement. And surprisingly, both of the political sides in the United States are not happy about this. The Democrats keep saying that uh, Facebook is doing a little, too little for stopping the claims of the U.S. president that the elections has been stolen and the Republicans are arguing about the lack of free speech. The Democrats are also criticizing the Facebook's lack of action against inspiring violence on the platform, which has risen by 45% over the five day, at least the five days after the election. But this is not what we would like to talk about today. We will save this for one of our future episodes. Uh, because another big tech company got into the spotlight, and that's uh, the almighty Amazon. The EU has uh, charged Amazon with antitrust violations over them handling their third-party sellers' data. What does it, what does it mean exactly? Amazon has over 150,000 merchants selling goods that are European through its website. They're basically... Amazon's able to collect the big data on all of these merchants and the way they sell and uh, the popularity of their products and how their customers behave on the website. They're able to use this data on their third-party merchants for their own benefit, choosing how they sell their products and the methods of selling their products. Or if they're going to launch new products, they use this is, of course, what the EU is saying, that they use and they can use data that's by the third-party merchants, whereas the third-party merchants, who's, who the data is about, they don't have access to this data, so they the competition is on the side of Amazon. Hi, Odessa from the future here. We just wanted to explain what a third-party merchant means is your average small or large company, your average boutique owner that sells their products on this platform. If we put it into more human terms, uh, what it means is basically that Amazon allegedly abuses the information about the products and the sellers so that their own products uh, can um, benefit from that. And also, if the, if, if the merchant uh, uses other Amazon products like, like the shipping, 
then they would have a better position uh, in, in, in the Amazon marketplace. Okay, so what is the alleged wrongdoing by Amazon? EU regulators have charged Amazon about the treatment of over 150,000 European merchants that sell goods through the Amazon website. How, how did they charge them? I mean, what, what, was, what was the problem? Well, as part of the investigation, they obtained a massive amount of uh, data sets from Amazon. So this covered over 80 million transactions and more than 100 million products listings in the European marketplaces. And they wanted to analyze how Amazon uses merchant data. They have basically found that Amazon is able to use data that they collect about how their merchants, how their third-party merchants sell on their website, and they use it to their own advantage and benefit by then being able to change or make decisions on how they launch their own products. I guess this is the uh, the general problem of the so-called dual platforms, so dual usage platforms, so that you can uh, allow other the third parties to sell through your platform, but you also use the same platform for your own products. Amazon and uh, Jeff Bezos uh, says that this practice is forbidden, but there is no guarantee that their employees would not breach this practice, which doesn't really make much sense to me. Uh, I think that the more important counter argument is that uh, Amazon says they care about the small uh, businesses more than any any other company in the world, which in a way I would subscribe to this view because uh, through Amazon, you can, you know, being a small business owner, you can really get to a global marketplace, uh, which is something you would not have without it. Would you say that it's fair that Amazon as its own business and Jeff Bezos having Amazon, that it's legitimate that they could use this data to their benefit because they are the owner of this business? Well, it's definitely not fair, and it's not only a problem of Amazon, it's also a problem of Google, obviously, that is uh, also a dual-usage platform. Uh, and uh, I think this is symptomatic of uh, two things. One, it is symptomatic of Europe trying to figure out how to work with this dilemma, meaning that Amazon is clearly uh, very profitable both for Amazon itself, but also for the small business owners and for small businesses. Uh, and also how to make sure that uh, Amazon is not abusing its its um, uh, market power. What is interesting about this particular case is that uh, there doesn't seem to be the usual split between the US and uh, the European Union because the United States is also trying to figure out how to make the competition fair. Uh, because basically what we're talking about is unfair uh, position vis-a-vis other platforms or other businesses. Interestingly enough, Jeff Jeff Bezos was uh, faced with similar questions during the grilling in the U.S. Congress. So I think this is one of the most important questions for the future, and that is how to make sure that the dual usage platforms can grant a fair access and will not uh, misuse or abuse the data that they have collected. And I would add that Amazon did agree to change its terms of service for third-party merchants in response to investigation by German regulators. And they do generally agree that there needs to be more done, especially in the case where they can't control if their employees do look into that sort of data. They are cooperating, but Amazon could be fined as much as $28 billion 
Yeah, for this. In, in the past, the fines were not probably what would deter uh, the companies from this kind of behavior. So it is expected that there will be some sort of an agreement, and hopefully it will be an agreement that the general public will benefit from. Also, generally, large fines don't really change the position of big tech companies in the marketplace. While this is the kind of debate that uh, in the European Union and in the US we've been having for quite some time now, and of course dating back to the 1990s um, regarding Microsoft, this is the kind of a debate that was not really uh, happening in China. In China, you could uh, you could tell that that the big tech companies uh, had really free reign in how they deal deal with their data. You know how they approach their power position in the given market and sometimes there have been speculations that this is about to change the past two weeks uh, were definitely a sign of the of this change and this is our next topic the Washington Post came with a with an interesting headline yesterday and the headline reads the Chinese Communist Party just showed Jack Ma and the rest of us who is the boss what does it mean for years, the Chinese government took a relatively blasé approach towards regulating its big tech companies, uh, leaving uh, the US and uh, the European tech sector wondering how they can catch up You know, in an environment where there are differences, uh, stark differences in regulations. Well, this seems about to change. Uh, there has been a lot in the news about the initial public offering of the Ant Group, uh, one of the biggest uh, financial technology company, which is a company owned by uh, Jack Ma, also an owner, also the owner of Alibaba. And just days before the IPO, the initial public offering was halted by the Chinese regulators, which was the first very important sign of the changing winds in, in terms of the Chinese tech regulations. The second big crack in the so far unregulated big tech landscape in China came just days later when Beijing regulators drew up unprecedented antitrust rules with the aim of curbing the power of digital giants in China. So until now, for example, if you wanted to buy something from Alibaba, you'd need to pay with their own payment method. This would force you to use a bundle of services from the one platform. Alibaba sells almost one-fifth of all Chinese consumer goods, while Amazon is only 5%. So you can really see the difference between uh, the share and between the, the, the nascent monopoly uh, in those sectors. And that's really what, what counts as a big different, difference between China and the U.S. The new regulation is aimed to mitigate the risk of having monopolies such as WeChat, Alibaba and Tencent. And this would mean a completely new era of preventing anti-competitive behavior in the tech sector of China. Now, this would be good news, right? That would uh, One of the reasons is that you could get more data protection and, and more consumer data protection in China, which is up until, up until now pretty much a non-issue. It would also level the playing field for other big tech uh, companies, especially in the U.S., it would basically mean that, that uh, China is figuring out how to uh, put more rules into its uh, big tech sector. Well, that's one way uh, of looking at it, but there's also another way of looking at it, and that is uh, if, you, if you look at 
what is the sec sector being most hit is the financial sector, is the is the fintech sector. And uh, the, you can see that as a political move because the centrality of banking uh, sector in, in China is crucial for the Chinese uh, government grip on power. Uh, if you can if you can control who gets money for what for what kind of project, uh, you basically control the economy. While if you let uh, you know the decentralized way of lending money blossom, you are losing that grip on power. Also, if you have individuals with an unprecedented wealth. This all could mean that it's, it's all challenging for, for the communist government and for their, uh, for their way of handling China, Chinese policies. You know, and, and when you look who is losing most by this regulation, it's, it's again, it's Alibaba, it's JD.com, it's Tencent. The uh, Financial Times reported that only two days after uh, the, the regulatory rules were introduced, a staggering 250 Four billion dollars in market value uh, was written off uh, these groups. So this is really, uh, you can also, as I said, you can really see that as a Chinese government uh, way of saying, look, you guys be careful, we're still in charge of this country. Back to Europe, um, after lengthy negotiations, another big hurdle on the path towards the new uh, EU budget was overcome when the uh, European Council made a deal with the European Parliament on the new budget. We'll focus on the Digital Europe program, which is focused on technology, uh, big data, AI, and building digital skills generally. And its aim is to build the strategic digital capacities of the EU and facilitate the wide deployment of digital technologies to be used by Europe's citizens, businesses, and public ad administrations. It's supposed to strengthen investments in supercomputing, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, advanced digital skills, and ensure a wide use of digital capacity across the economy and society. It says, which is interesting because we talked about the National Research Cloud of America previously, the Digital Year program from the EU, the goal is to boost Europe's competitiveness and the green tra transition towards climate neutrality by 2020. And it actually says that it wants to ensure technological sovereignty, which I think is a first for Europe, for the EU, to say this, this kind of wording. Technological sovereignty, that's something I've, I don't think I've heard before. It definitely falls in line with the, the broader EU's attempt to be more autonomous, uh, you know, in, in the security and defense, uh, there is this strategic autonomy. And so now we're speaking about technological sovereignty. My opinion is that however noble this idea is and however laudable it is that the European Union is taking seriously its lack uh, or, or its deficiencies in technology and innovations, I just don't think that there is in, in the near future uh, maybe ever in this century, there is a, a way for the European Union or for Europe to be really independent from the United States in the technological sphere. And uh, I, I understand this kind of language, but I just don't see uh, how this could happen in practical terms. Anyway, it's uh, the, it, the good thing is that, that European Union, uh, that, that the proposed budget, which by the way is far from being agreed at this point, 
it is good that that is really taking uh, innovations, research and development this seriously and that it's one of the backbones uh, of, of the entire structure. What do you think about the amount of the budget? So it's 8.2 billion uh, that's specifically for this part of the budget, the Digital Year program. Well, I, I don't think that that uh, the magic will be in the numbers. The magic will be in in allocation. How, not only in allocation, but also in how how the money will be spent. I mean, is, is it going to be spent uh, on large cross border and, and cross national infrastructures, or uh, will be will it be spent uh, on on blue sky inventions? Will be spent on uh, supporting existing projects. I mean, these are all things that we don't know yet. What I'm afraid is uh, that the money will be spent with research centers and universities, well-established research centers and universities, that, that the prime primary um, tool for selecting will be previous successes. And I think that, that Europe now needs large new projects uh, that will go after the ideas rather than institutions, and we'll see how that is going to work. So we're looking at the fact sheet right now for this area, and it does stress quite vehemently that it wants to increase the accessibility of, for example, supercomputing or artificial intelligence to include also small and medium-sized enterprises. Um, however, in previous experience, this is difficult to do because the, the money usually goes to the bigger institutions, as Michal said, anyway. Just looking at the section about artificial intelligence, which has been allocated 2.2 billion, following up from our uh, discussion about the National Research Cloud in the US, it says it wants to set up a true European data space and facilitate safe access to and storage of large data sets and trustworthy and energy efficient cloud infrastructure. Again, this will bring up questions of who's gonna be, who's gonna have access to this, what the pricing is gonna be, and what kind of data is going to be put into this, whether it also include private data? Well, I think that that's, you're right, this is going to be a big question about the data protection. Uh, you can also tell that the, that the budget was uh, drafted or finalized under the impression of the COVID pandemic, because uh, it says that, that, you know, especially the health data will be important. But I think that we really need to move beyond this narrow confines of, of um, the data utilization. We need to look at uh, socioeconomic data, even political data. It, it's hard to say if this is what, what the proposal has in mind. But you're right that that is definitely... It is uh, very much uh, in line uh, with the U.S. National Research Cloud, and probably it's also more structured than than, than the proposition uh, in the U.S. Looking at the the last point on the fact sheet for Digital Europe program, the which focuses on ensuring the wide use of digital technologies across the economy and society, notably to be used by small and medium-sized enterprises. Again, they've mentioned this, so we'll see how that goes on. But they also want to support European public administrations and industries deploy and access state-of-the-art digital technologies and build trust in the digital transformation. So this is interesting to say that they want to build trust in the digital transformation while it's the EU that has been building skepticism around uh, digital the digital transformation specific to for big data and artificial intelligence but also other areas well i don't think that the european union was building skepticism it's just that it took a more 
hands-on approach towards regulations and towards data protection and now now the time is ripe to actually start utiliz- utilizing the data and, and start our own artificial intelligence under the regulation frameworks or yeah well i mean yeah within sort of uh, yeah with within the regulatory frameworks that for sure this budget proposal is very much uh, future-oriented, at least the part that we spoke about. Uh, we didn't speak about um, other areas like agriculture, defense, uh, cooperations, and uh, cooperation, and so on. But what I'm trying to say is that the budget is far from agreed. There will be still tough negotiations among the the member states, and uh, there will be things that will be haunting us uh, in the in the future like uh, the rule of law commitment of the member countries or lack thereof and the countries that might be affected uh, by the provisions that say that that there will be limited access to the EU money if the rule of law is not being observed these countries are more most likely to veto the proposal so as i said the the, the, propo- the, the proposal is very much future oriented but there are things from the past that will be coming after us all in all, I think the language of the the budget and this program specifically is encouraging. It will be interesting to see how this translates into applying the funds to these areas. Thank you for listening. The next episode will be with the president of RAND Europe, Hans Pung, our international advisory board member on the economic impacts of vaccine nationalism with respect to COVID which they explain in a published report. We will have the man himself here to tell you all about it. Until next time, have a great day.